Hey folks, Brian here. Before we get started, I just want to ask those who are listening who have not done so to please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. And to those who have already done so, thank you very much, and please tell a friend. Now then, on with the show. This is episode number 26 of the Confessions of an Arcade Attic podcast. Uh, not too much going on since I recorded episode 25. Uh, the COVID pandemic is still ongoing, although things are slowly starting to warm up and open up, I should say. Um, it's going to be in stages, at least as far as how things are going here in the state of Michigan. And... I think it'll be probably midsummer to late summer before everything is back up and running with, of course, social distancing being uh, uh, foremost in everybody's mind. Um, the curve has flattened quite a bit, but we are nowhere near out of the woods yet. Um, as far as I keep track of it, because I work a lot, so I don't watch the news aside from the fact I don't want to fall into a depression <laughs> um you know there are those doctors that are saying there's going to be a second spike of cases of COVID but we shall see what's going on several states have opened back up fully um and we'll just see what happens from here I mean we are all in undiscovered territory we don't know how this is going to go down. We don't know how it's going to shake out. Um, I have been seeing, as I've been going through uh, my delivery area and pickup area, um, there is a zap zone right near uh, one of the clinics I go to visit. And uh, I see they're, uh, I think they're ramping up to start up uh, business again, probably within the the next month um and you know small businesses have taken a massive hit a lot of small businesses have been shut down by this because of course they can't maintain until business comes back which is unfortunate um i've been following marvin's marvelous mechanical museum on facebook you know they're in a rather uh tight situation as far as hanging on until uh the green light is given to open their doors back up um i can only imagine what the arcade in brighton is going through um and various other places i mean movie theaters are going to be hit the hardest out of this you know without a doubt that's just my personal feeling on it um i think a lot of people have discovered that it's pretty cool if you've got the right uh, equipment to stay in and watch a movie rather than going to a movie theater and dealing with all the social difficulties that occur from it, if you will. Um, As far as gaming goes, I haven't been playing too much. Uh, I picked up more hours from my home care and usually after I get home from work and the home care side hustle I'm too tired to do much um I do play some games every once in a while Uh, I've been playing some 2600 games in emulation um I haven't touched Battletech in a while or Nova Drift for that matter 
Yeah, my son you know, wrecked my computer. I don't know if I said anything about it in episode 25. I think that happened right after I posted episode 25. But yeah, he poured fruit juice in the uh, uh, the uh, vents in the top of the computer, and yeah, it's kaput. I mean, it's a 10-year-old computer, and I, I had full plans on replacing it anyway, but, you know, uh, it's still rather upsetting, shall we say. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. I've been I've been playing Elite Dangerous. Oh, that's right. I got back into uh, Sega Genesis. Uh, Sega Genesis uh, emulation. I've been playing my favorite Genesis game, Shining Force. Uh, I will talk about that in a future episode of uh, Are You Experienced? And um you know, probably relating my top 10 Genesis games uh, in top 10, so uh, stay tuned for that. That will be quite a ways down the road, but I do have those things planned. Um, I also played uh, play Streets of Rage 4 every so often. I need to really start getting back into my games. Uh, oh, that's right, the other thing I've been doing, I started playing uh, NBA 2K14 again. Um, I don't play the uh, the My Career storyline. Uh, I play uh, the Association. Um, that's where you have full control over a basketball team as far as uh, uh, minute rotations, uh, who starts, who is uh, si the sixth man, who's a bench warmer, who's a uh, role player, um, and you can also play the games fully which is what I did. Um, and, you know, I've been playing that ever since I bought 2K14 a few years ago. And, you know, I'm just having fun, you know, just playing that game. I love, like I've said, if you know anything about me, you know I love basketball video games. And, you know, 2K, it's got its warts, but it's still a really good basketball game, especially... Uh, the earlier ones. Uh, I watch Chris Smoove on YouTube. He uh, runs, uh, he posts videos of uh, NBA 2K20. And I mean, he's been doing 2K, goodness, since like what, two, 2K10? I mean, he's been doing this like 10 years. So hats off to him. You know, I've been following him ever since the uh, <laughs> the original Call of Duty Modern Warfare days because the dude's hilarious. But anyway, enough of that. Um, I do have an, e uh, an email. <laughs> you know, shock, surprise, and amazement. Uh, this is a new emailer to the show. This is from uh, Dana, who I believe is male. Um, he says, Hey, Brian, really like your shows. Just started listening to it about a week ago and I've been catching up on some past episodes. Um... This email was sent on April 30th, and it's now, what, April, uh, May 22nd, so yeah. Um, it's probably fully caught up by now. Um, was just wondering if you could talk about three of my favorite arcade games, those being Black Tiger, Alien Syndrome, and Kid Nicky. Uh, if you haven't played them, give them a shot. I would like, uh, like to hear what other people think about my favorite games. Again, thanks for your podcast. I really enjoy it. Thank you for your email, Dana. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was the top 10 of 1988. Uh, I'm going to consult my notes here. Um, but I think I talked about Alien Syndrome and Kid Nicky. Um, but it was only for, like, uh, it was only for, like, uh, you know, a brief description as I do in my, uh, top 10s. Um... Uh, I, I like Alien Syndrome, even though I think, once again, it's one of those games that even just in its design, it kind of skews things towards the game. And the fact is that you, your character can only move in the cardinal uh, compass directions, you know, up, down, left, right, and the diagonals, and the opponents can move much more than that. They can make turns and things like that, and you have to position and reposition your character in order to, uh, in order to, um, 
how should I put this, in order to, uh, you know, attack it with your weapons. Um, aside from that, yeah, I mean, I like Alien Syndrome a lot, as a matter of fact. You know, every once in a while I get the hankering to play it, and I do have it in emulation, so when I do play it, yeah, I'm all about it. Black Tiger, uh, let's see, I never saw it very often. I'm trying to remember where I saw it. I think it might have been Milford Rec and maybe one other place. I think the News Corner had it for like a, a brief second. Uh, Black Tiger was uh, is a game by Capcom. It was uh, put out in 1987. Uh, it is basically a uh, a platformer platforming game with heavy role-playing aspects to it. I mean, it's not a bad game to play. It's just I never really got into it because I never, I hardly ever saw it. Um, let's see, Kid Nikki. I also talked about. Um, like I said, um, I wasn't very, shall I say, generous with my words when it came to Kid Nikki. But basically, what it is is that, um, yeah, it's a basically a beat 'em up game, and it's done in this really weird anime style uh anime style and i really wasn't a huge fan of it um i think i played it for a little while i was able to get like past like the f second level or something like that but it was just not all that great for me to deal with as far as you know a game and, and there were other games that i much was i'd much rather spend my money on I mean, I'm sorry if that's not what you wanted to hear, Dana, but, you know, I I always said that if I was going to do this podcast, I was going to be honest about my feelings when it came to certain games and situations, as you'll find out in future episodes of this podcast. Um, yeah, there is a story time coming up that I am not looking forward to writing, much less relating to you guys, The Office, but... I said I would be honest, so honest I will be. Um, but yes, once again, thank you for your email, Dana. And like Dana, if you want to contact the show, um, ask about any games you're curious about or games you used to play back in the day, you know, and you know you want to commiserate about it like Dana did, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian, all one word, at gmail.com. Also, there is a phone number for voicemails. That number is 734-743-2433. Also, social media is up and running as always. Um, I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. Uh, Facebook, I think, has the biggest presence. Um, I found out recently that now I'm up over 400 uh, people following the page. And... Um, I'm really grateful for that and humbled. I mean, it took almost a year of doing this podcast to get to 300, and then it took less than a month to get to 400. I mean, of course, COVID has a lot to do with it because there are a lot of people staying home, and, you know, a lot of people have turned to podcasts. I mean, I'm not complaining at all. Far from it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm very grateful that you guys are, you know, tuning into the show and um, as always, uh, please, as I say, say in the little uh, bumper before I start the show, you know, like, rate, review, and subscribe. Um, if you've subscribed, please tell a friend. And hopefully I, we can grow this podcast into something. I mean, I have ambitions to uh, go on Twitch and, you know, play arcade games or, you know, um, maybe... Uh, other type, you know, other types of games, and you know, stream those, and you know, if I can afford some sort of uh, game player's rig or something like that, you know, that's like a pipe pipe dream, long, long, long in the future. If this uh, podcast continues, um, that's something I would love to do is to sort of uh, do it, sort of um, uh, galloping ghost style where there's a camera on the game player and then there's a camera on the screen showing the gameplay and the action and so forth. I would love to like go to like Pinball Pete's with that or go to the Arcade in Brighton with that, although it's a small place, the Arcade in Brighton. I don't know if there would be enough room to do something like that, but at the very least, I'm willing to try it. Um, 
I do have designs on going to Galloping Ghost. Um, probably, I'd say, maybe next summer, you know, if I can get the finances together. Um, because not only I want to go there, I want to hook up with Jack Danger, go to his place, play some pinball, um, uh, go to several other play, uh, arcades in the greater Chicagoland area, uh, hook up with uh, Greg from uh, Arcade Impossible, you know, and go down, you know, check out his arcade basement and stuff like that. Um, that's my major ambition as far as this podcast goes. Um, and that reminds me, I do need to DM uh, Greg Hansen and see about getting him on the show. Um, and yeah, I'm going to do that soon. Um, and also I'm going to interview um, my friend Mark, yeah, but he's going through a lot. Uh, he owns a small business and with the COVID going on, yeah, he's his 99.999% of his attention is on, you know, keeping his business afloat, which I understand. Um, once things calm down for him, you know, we'll set a time aside and I'll, we'll get him on the show and, you know, we'll share some uh, stories and stuff like that. Um, I'm probably going to see about getting my friend uh, Edgar on the show. Um, he's probably out of the four of a uh, four of my friends when we were all in high school him my friend dave my friend rob and myself um edgar was the biggest video game head next to me and um he's helped me out uh researching information for the show and i i he's been doing me uh, a solid for the last few months so i figure i get him on the show and you know we can uh, retake, recount some stories about, you know, our video gaming, uh, history and our friendship through the years. So yeah, that's all coming. Um, so, uh, let's get right on with the show. I've got a little bit here. Um, you know, there it's, it's going to be an interesting show. I think you'll like it. So let's just get right to it. Top tens. Top tens. Arcade games of 1991. Okay, let's see. At this point, I am 22 years old. Um, I'm hanging out with a local band uh, that went by the name of Shotgun Serenade. I'm taking guitar lessons from one of the guitar players in the band who I'm still friends with to this day. Um, yeah, he wouldn't listen to this podcast. It has nothing to interest him. I'm, I'm certain of it, but if just on the off chance. Hey, Bill, what's up? Um, let's see, what else am I doing? I'm working quite a bit in 1991. Um, and, you know, for an arcade addict like me, these were certainly not the best of times when it came to video, uh, video gaming in arcades. Um, they were hardly the worst of times, but uh, the only places that were still going were Milford Rec and Artie's Place. Um, although Crazy 8's arcade uh, started, uh, I want to say, like the latter third of this year. Um, as I've said before, I believe this arcade arose from the ashes of Spanky's because there were some game machines in there that were in Spanky's uh, close to the closing of the place. Um, but this place did not have anywhere near the number of machines Spanky's did. I think at the height of their powers, I think Spanky's had like, oh goodness, like between 50 and 70 machines. Uh, this place only had 20 to 25. Um, people went here because um, they got Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter II Champion Edition, which both those games came out in 1992. And also they got WrestleFest, which is a game that I played quite a bit at Crazy 8's Arcade. It was like the only game uh, that I really liked, that I really played when I went there. Aside from maybe a game or two of Life Force. But aside from that, yeah. There wasn't that much there to interest me. Um, there were also a couple of mom and pop video stores in my neighborhood that opened up, and they had arcade machines in them. 
and I used to go to them as well. Uh, one one place, I've talked about it before, I can't remember the name of the place. My brain is saying Showtime, but that wasn't it. Um, that, was, that place had a Bride of Pinbot machine, and because of that, uh, to this day, that remains my all-time favorite pinball machine. Um, they also had an SNK machine, uh, with uh, that was a Neo Geo machine, I should say, with uh, Fatal Fury and Sengoku. Um, I will be talking about these in my top tens, actually. Um, the News Corner was still around, uh, but as now, I worked in Trumbull Mall, which was the north end of, uh, that was, you know, the on the north side of uh, town, which was just across the town line into Trumbull. I didn't go downtown very much now. Um, so I didn't have much reason to be there. Uh, there were games to be played, but you had to make an effort to find them or even to get to them. You know, that's just how it was. Okay, once again, uh, this is a top 10, no particular order. Um, these are games that I played in 1991 that I thought were the best. So here we goes. Here we go. Uh, Captain America and the Avengers. Uh, this was a wonderful game that came out, and, you know, I was really impressed with this game. I loved it. It was fantastic. Um, you could select, uh, from the Avengers. Now, let's see, um, let's see if I can do this from memory. It was Captain America, Iron Man, um, Hawkeye, Vision, and I'm missing one or two, and I can't remember what they are. I probably should play it, and you know, get the proper information, but, you know, I'm just going off of my personal recollections. Um, it was a fun beat-em-up game where you would go up against the um, various uh, Marvel uh, villain, supervillains, you know, in your attempt to rescue the Earth from the machinations of the Red Skull. Um, you know, like I said, great game, uh, fan, you know, great game, good beat-em-up, it was a quarter eater, though. Um, I have watched several videos on YouTube about uh, people who play this game, and of course, with several with some beat 'em ups, you have to play them a certain way in order to get through the game without, you know, on one quarter. And unfortunately, this game was no different. Um, okay, uh, Fatal Fury. Like I get, like I just said, this was uh, in a Neo Geo machine in the uh, video store in my neighborhood. Um, it was a really good fighting game, um, and you chose one of three characters to uh, um, get to the end and beat the boss, Geese Howard. Um, this game was different in the fact that you could um, move, your, either you or your opponent could move in and out of the background, and if you know, in depending on your timing, it also helped when you attacked your opponent. Um, yeah, this was a really good game. I liked it a lot. Um, God only knows I spent a lot of game, a lot of quarters playing this game, trying to beat it. King of Dragons. This is a uh, one of the fantasy-based beat 'em ups uh, by uh, Capcom. This one was just like playing. Uh, D&D. This one and its uh, contemporary, also made by Capcom, called Knights of the Round, which I'll get to in a second. Um, this one was much more D&D based because you had a fighter, a cleric, a wizard, and a thief. And I think that's how it was. I think you had the four basic classes. I mean, this is like, this is just like the, pro the progenitor to like, um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Tower of Doom, and Shadow over Mistara, which I will also talk about in future episodes. Um, but yeah, I mean, this one was, you know, just like playing D&D, your character, after you beat the boss monster on every level, your character would level up, and you would have stronger attacks, and much more effective magic, and so forth and so on. I mean, it was, considering it was... It came out in 1991. It was really kind of basic, but it still was fun to play. I do have to say that. It was fun. it was really nice. Um, and that goes right into its 
more uh, final fight based Knights of the Round. Uh, this was a fantastic beat em up. Um, this one was based all on Arthurian legend. Uh, you could fight as um, Arthur, Lancelot, or uh, Percival. And you basically went through, um, you know, levels, you know, went through all these levels, and there was a lot of strategy involved. You could ride horses and attack from horseback. Um, and there were a lot of difficult bosses to beat. The end boss is really hard. <laughs> I know, because golly knows I've spent enough money on the game. Um, I didn't beat that game until it came out onto on Super Nintendo, I think in like 1992, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it like I said, it's like Final Fight, but with um, fantasy and Arthurian legends as the main focus, as the storyboard, if you will. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Rimrock and Basketball. Oh, let's see, where did I first start playing this game? I want to say that was at, uh, I'd say it was either Milford Rec or Artie's Place. I think it was one of those two places. Um, I want to say the News Corner had it, but I think my memory is not serving me well at this moment. Um, of course, this is a five-on-five top-down basketball game, um, where, I mean, it's sort of like, um, it's kind of like how, uh, double dribble was but it was much the gameplay was much more fair shall we say um i consider myself a master at double dribble and yeah i can say the gameplay was unfair because yeah it was um yeah you took control of a basketball team and you just tried to beat the opposing basketball team uh nothing really all that uh special about it um there were dunks but it was all in-game action uh, every once in a while, if you made a really good play, it would give you like a um, a still uh, a still shot of your player either making a jump shot or dunking or something like that. Um, like I said, the gameplay was much more straight up, but yeah, it was still a lot of fun. I I liked it a lot. I spent a lot of money on that game too. <laughs> yeah, without doubt. Sengoku. Uh, this was the other game on the Neo Geo machine at the. Uh, uh, video rental store that I used to frequent. Um, in this one, you're it's a beat 'em up, but it's got a lot of high-level Japanese fantasy elements through the game. I mean, you f start out as a um, martial arts fighter, and you get power-ups through the game, and, and then you. Um, when you achieve certain power-ups, you actually gain the ability to shape change. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember. Um, one is like a wolf. One is like a martial arts fighter. You know, like a legendary one who like attacks faster and does more damage, I think. And there was another one that I'm that's escaping me right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was really an interesting game to play. You know, being an SNK game, it was hard, um, borderline unfair, but yeah, it's fun. I mean, I, I loved playing it, and I spent a lot of money on that game, too. Uh, let's see, The Simpsons. Um, I played this sparingly. I wasn't a really big fan of it, but it was every time I went to, um, every time I went to Milford Rec, because that's where it was, um, everyone was playing it. I mean, The Simpsons was one of the hottest things on TV back in 1991, and um, it was just a fun game because it took elements from the varying episodes. I'm trying to remember, how long were they on the air at that point? I think like five years, maybe six, I think. I think The Simpsons started in like 1986 or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could you could pick Bart you could, you know, you could pick, um, you could pick Bart, uh, Homer, um, uh, Marge, and I think, yeah, you could take Lisa also, and the fun part was, is that you could do, like, these weird, uh, com, not combination, but these weird, uh, join-up attacks, like, if you took, like, Bart and, like, Homer, uh, you could actually 
events. I don't know how it was done, but you could join up and you could, you know, do these weird attacks as you move across the screen and, you know, take out your enemies and so forth. Um, like I said, this game never really caught my interest, but, you know, it's it deserves its place here because every time I saw it, it, it was very rarely empty. There was almost always someone playing it. Sort of like how Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was, you know, a couple of years ago. Street Fighter 2. Okay. <laughs> what more can I say about this game? Um, this game will be coming in Are You Experienced uh, in a future episode. Um, uh, I really shuddered. I don't really want to do a time for some strategy about it, even though I probably could, but the segment would probably take an hour for me to go through all of the fighters and all of the strategy and tactics. But um, this is the game that catapulted Capcom into the stratosphere and kept it there for a very long time. Um, of course, you know, this was the, uh, you know, this was the sequel to Street Fighter, which came out in 1987, which was a terrible game. I said so when I re reviewed the games of 1987. Um, it, the game, the um, game engine they used just wasn't good enough for a fighting game. It was really, really difficult. Um, the timing you had to do uh, with your attacks and your special attacks was just ridiculous. Um, and they fixed almost all of that in uh, Street Fighter 2. Um, it's, you know, you could pick Ryu, Ken, Chun-Li, uh, Zangiev, um, E. Honda, Blanca, or Dalsim. Uh, you could only pick those eight to go through uh, various fights to get to uh, the bosses of Shadow Lu, which are um, Vega, uh, M. Bison, you know, not M. Bison, excuse me, um, Balrog, Vega, Sagat, and M. Bison. And it was back in 1991 and 1992, it was an accomplishment if you could beat this game. Because the way, or at least the way I saw it played, um, let's see, who had Street Fighter 2? Um, both Marazzi Duchesses, uh, well, actually all the Duchess restaurants in the area, there's one uh, near where I live in Bridgeport, there's a second one in Fairfield, and there's a third one in uh, Shelton, and those are all towns around Bridgeport. Um, every Duchess had a Street Fighter 2 machine back in 1991. Um, and everyone was more interested in playing each other than actually playing the game. That's just how it was. And it was just a lot of fun to play against other people. I didn't get really good at it until probably about 1992. Um, and I didn't really start beating it with regularity until probably about 1993. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love Street Fighter 2. It's always, a, you know, it's always great to play it. I mean, I'm more into special, or excuse me, into Champion Edition, uh, which I will cover when we get to the games of 1992. Um, that's my jam. I mean, Street Fighter 2 is okay, but the gameplay was, revi was uh, revised and refined in Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition, and that's the game I always play if I'm presented with a choice. But we'll get to that. Uh, WWF WrestleFest. Oh, man. This game was absolutely fantastic. Um, this one... This took WWE Superstar... WWF Superstar, sorry. Which came out in 1989. And it just went to the... The, uh, the next step with it. Um, now you had many more, more wrestlers to pick from. I think you had 12. Let's see if I can remember them. Hulk Hogan, The Ultimate Warrior, Mr. Perfect, Sergeant Slaughter, um, Jake the Snake Roberts, Ted DiBiase, um, Demolition Smash, Demolition Crush, um, oh goodness, I'm missing some, oh, Earthquake, um, doo -doo 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 -doo. I'm missing like three of them. I'd have to look at the game again, but those are the only ones I could pick off the top of my head. Um... But yeah, this game is fantastic. 
and the fact that and the fact that if you uh you went into you could first of all you could pick the kind of uh match you wanted at the beginning you could do either the tag team title quest or you could do the royal rumble um the royal rumble was basically you would start out with uh another wrestler and you would you know you would battle it out in the ring and every like minute or so of game time another wrestler would come in and you basically it you know, the wrestlers would keep coming in and coming in i think there was a maximum of 6 you could have in the ring at one time and basically you wanted to eliminate inflict enough damage on your opponent to be able to eliminate them throw them over the top rope and you know be able to um win the Royal Rumble match. And of course, um the high score um a high score table was prevalent upon uh how many wrestlers you eliminated in the match. I'm trying to remember, I think the most I ever eliminated was like ten. I mean nine or ten wrestlers. Um either you could either do it by yeah, you could do it either by throwing them out of the ring or by pinfall. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great game. And then the tag team quest, it was basically like uh, WWF Superstars, except now um, the third match you got into was a steel cage match, which changed the gameplay some. And, of course, the fourth match is going up against the tag team champions, which are the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, Animal, and Hawk which that was always stressful because those guys inflicted a lot of damage and they took a lot of damage. But um, uh, basically you have to go through two sets of four matches to beat the game and you know and which is awesome. And the, and the high score table for this one was prevalent upon the number of wins that you got. And it was it's just a lot of fun. I love this game. It's one of my favorite wrestling games of all time probably like who i'd say probably top three top top five definitely but probably closer to top three okay and sunset riders this game i only played uh infrequently because i think the only place that had sunset riders was arnie's place i think it was either them or milford wreck but i'm pretty sure it's arnie arnie's place um i was watching um actually zallard one the guy I talked about when it came to a punch-out, super punch-out, he played um, Sunset Riders 2. He played it also. And, you know, basically getting through the game on one credit. I believe it was him. Um, but, yeah, basically you are... You could pick uh, one of, I think, four uh, characters which have their own attributes as far as, you know... Uh, shooting and moving and that kind of stuff and you have to go through various stages to get to the end boss to beat the game and you know it's just a lot of fun to play it's a lot of fun it's a fun game to watch too because you know there's just a lot of interesting things going on on the screen aside from the action but yeah sunset riders okay uh honorable mentions uh captain commando i only played this game a couple of times but I went more off of the fact that, that this game, um, I'm trying to remember where I saw it. I think the News Corner had it for a little while. I think Milford Wreck had it for a little while. Um, but yeah, every time I went to Milford Wreck, which was pretty infrequently also at this point, um, every time I went there, somebody was playing the game. Um, and that's kind of what I remember of it. I mean, I only played it once or twice. I don't think it was quite for me. I think there were other things I wanted to play. So yeah, uh, Captain Commando. Terminator 2. This is, of course, the uh, video game tie-in to the movie Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Um, and it was, it's basically a rail shooter. I was never really huge on rail shooters, but I played it once or twice. I mean, it was okay, but I never was, the only rail shooter I really liked was maybe Operation Wolf, and I didn't like it very much. Just the rail shooter genre was never my jam, so yeah. Uh, and uh, Super High Impact Football. 
Um, I played this in emulation recently just to kind of get a feel of what it was about. And basically it was like, um, it was sort of like a precursor to Mortal Kombat in a way, because the way the players moved and everything like that kind of reminds me of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically a football game. And of course, you know, it, it was pretty violent you know, you had some pretty nasty hits and things like that. I seem to remember, I think someone got taken off the field on a stretcher, you know, things like that. But, you know, it was an interesting game. I mean, it was fast. You had to make like split second decisions where to throw the ball on offense or who who to pick on defense to try and defend, you know, to keep the uh, opposition from scoring and things like that. It was, it was a fun game. I have to admit, it was. And those are my top tens with honorable mentions for 1991. Um, if you've got a game that you played back in 91 that you think should be on this list, hey, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com, and we can talk about it, or at least, you know, talk about it through emails and whatnot. Okay, so with all that done, let's move on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, but I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying wet arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe you're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. 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 I'm not gonna buy a hemorrhoid We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Stargate. <laughs> oh yeah, this game. I got I got a little bit to say about it, but let's do the let's do our due diligence first. Uh let's go to Wikipedia on this. Okay. Uh, Stargate, also known as Defender 2, is a horizontally scrolling shooter released in arcades in 1981 by Williams Electronics. Created by Eugene Jarvis and Larry DeMar, this is a sequel to Defender, which was released earlier in the year. I still maintain I saw Defender in 1980, not 81, but let's continue. Uh, it was the first of only three productions for VidKids, an independent development house formed by Jarvis and DeMar. Uh, the se this sequel adds uh, new ships to the alien fleet, including, including fire bombers, Elabian space guppies, dynamos, freds, big reds, munchies, and space hums. The defender ship is now equipped with an inviso cloaking device, which renders the ship invulnerable when activated, but has a limited charge. A Stargate transports the ship to any humanoid in trouble. Uh, there are two special stages, the Alabian dogfight, first appearing at wave 5 and re recurring every 10 waves, and also the firebomber showdown, first appearing at wave 10 and also recurring every at every 10 waves. Uh, the Defender 2 name was used in some home releases due to legal issues. According to the bonus material uh, for Midway Arcade Treasures, which I have, um, Williams wanted to make to quote make sure they could own the trademark on the Defender name. Uh, end quote. Uh, the de name Defender 2 has been used on many home ports and game compilation appearances, but not in arcades. Uh, the Atari 26 port was originally sold to Stargate, but was, was renamed to Defender 2 for a later re-release, which is true, because when Stargate first came out, I bought it. Um, and then they did change it to Defender 2 um, years later. I do remember that. Uh, let's see. Uh, the player flies a small spaceship above a scrolling mountainous landscape which wraps around, so flying constantly in one direction will eventually return to the starting point. The player ship flies in front of the landscape and does not contact it. The, ter the terrain is inhabited by a small number of humanoids, 10 to be exact. Uh, enemy ships fly overhead. The goal is to destroy enemies to prevent the humans from being captured. Uh, the player is armed with a beam-like beam weapon, which can be fired rapidly in a long horizontal line ahead of the spaceship, and also has a limited supply of smart bombs, which can destroy en every enemy on the screen. The player also has a limited supply of invisible cloaking energy, which makes the ship invisible and able to destroy any ships that it comes in contact with. At the top of the screen is a mini-map, 
which also which displays the positions of all aliens and humans on the landscape. Okay, there are 15 types of a aliens. Okay, landers. Uh, the primary enemy on every level. Landers teleport into the level in staggered waves and attempt to capture humanoids by descending upon them and dragging them into the air. If they make it to the top of the screen with a human, the two fuse together into a more dangerous mutant. Landers can fire projectiles at the player. Uh, the, the mutant, which is a mutated lander. Uh, they home in on the player at constant speed, firing projectiles. They move erratically, making them difficult to shoot. Uh, baiters. Uh, a flat, iridescent spacecraft that teleports in if the player is taking too long to complete a level. It homes in on the player and attempts to match their speed. <laughs> attempts. <laughs> uh, just like in Defender, a baiter is faster than your ship at full thrust. Um, whilst, while they're firing accurate projectiles. A difficult opponent due to its unbeatable speed and tiny horizontal cross-section which makes it very hard to shoot. Uh, bombers, a box-shaped alien that lays stationary mines in the air. Pods, a star-like alien that bursts into a number of swarmers when shot. Uh, swarmers are tiny teardrop aliens that move very quickly in an undulating fashion, difficult to shoot. Uh, fire bombers, a rotating variation on the bombers which shoots high-speed fireballs at the player. Uh, Elabian Space Guppies, uh, an undulating attacker which attacks in swarms and homes in on the ship. Uh, Freds and Big Reds, square aliens which look like they are constantly opening and closing their mouths. Similar to fire bombers, they launch tiny versions of their, them, themselves called munchies. And they are also, just like baiters, they are faster than your ship at full thrust. Uh, dynamos. Diamond-shaped ships composed of clusters of space hums which periodically break off to attack the ship independently. Uh, once all aliens, except for fireballs, space hums, baiters, freds, big reds, and munchies are destroyed, uh, the player progresses to the next level. Uh, the game starts with ten humanoids in inhabiting the planet. Landers will attempt to capture and fuse with them during play. To rescue a humanoid from capture, the player must kill a lander while holding... Lander holding it while it's in the air, causing the humanoid to drop. At low height, the humanoid can survive the drop on their own, but if the lander is killed at too high an altitude, the player must catch the humanoid with their ship and return him to the ground, otherwise he will not survive the drop. <laughs> A player's ship can carry as many humanoids as are alive on that level. Uh, the humanoids can be killed by the player's weapon just as easily as the aliens can, so careful aim is required when firing near them. If all the humanoids are killed, the entire planet explodes, leaving the player in empty space. This also has the unfortunate effect of turning every lander into a mutant, making the player's job very difficult. Oh, ain't that the truth. Uh, let's see. Every time a player completes five waves of en enemies, uh, wave 6, 11, 16, and so forth, the planet and all ten humanoids are restored. Uh, let's see. Alright, we can go into the scoring. Why not? Uh, let's see, as well as the points gained by killing aliens, scores are also rewarded for the following. Uh, humanoid falling back to the ground without dying, that's 250 points. Catching a falling humanoid, 500, 1,000, and 2,000 points, depending on the humanoids carried at the time. So if you have one and you catch another, that's 1,000. You catch another after that, it's 1,500. And every humanoid after that is 2,000 points. I'll talk about that in uh, Time for Some Strategy. Uh, re returning a humanoid to the ground, uh, 500 points. Uh, every humanoid that survives the level is 100 points per humanoid for the first wave, 200 for the second, up to a maximum of 500 points from the fifth wave onward. Uh, end of wave humanoid bonus. If all the enemies are destroyed and a humanoid is falling to the ground, the player receives a 2,000-point two, bonus if the ship is positioned at the ground level directly under the humanoid so as to simultaneously catch the humanoid and place it back on the ground. That's not easy to do, mind you. Um, if the player simply catches the humanoid in midair while above the ground, the wave ends with the player only receiving the 500 points for catching the humanoid. Okay. Oh, let's see. Uh, the controls. Uh, the control system of Stargate expands on that of the Defender arcade game. <laughs> oh yeah, it does. Uh, it has a joystick to move up and down, a reverse button to toggle the player's horizontal direction, a thrust button to move in that direction. 
Uh, there is also a fire button for shooting, a button to activate a smart bomb, a button to turn on the, Invis the Invisible Cloaking device, and a hyperspace button which teleports the player to a random position on the level at a risk of either exploding on rematerialization or materializing onto an enemy or enemy projectile. And, of course, the Stargate. Uh, a central feature of the game field is the Stargate itself, represented by a series of concentric rectangles. Uh, the operation of the Stargate depends on the, the current game conditions. If a lander is in the process of abducting a humanoid, flying into the Stargate will teleport the ship to where the humanoid is under attack. If one or no, one or, uh, more than one humanoid is being captured, the ship will be taken to the lander that is closest to the top of the screen. If a humanoid is being captured while a humanoid is falling to the ground, the ship will be taken to the humanoid that is falling to the ground. I did not know that. Wow, you learn something new every day. Um, otherwise, entering the Stargate will teleport the ship to the opposite side of the planet. Um, if the ship is carrying at least four humanoids, entering the Stargate will warp the game ahead a number of levels. This allows more advanced players to skip the easier or lower levels and get a great number of points. Extra lives, smart bombs, and inviso energy. Warping is only allowed the first ten levels and can be avoided if desired by flying into the Stargate in reverse so a player can continue on the current level. Okay, um, my experiences with this game, huh, oh man, this game was the rage in 1981. Uh, Trumbull Mall Arcade, Spanky's, Milford Wreck, Arnie's Place, The News Corner, even my local movie theater had this game at, at one point. Um, although it was really popular, it still wasn't quite as popular as Defender was. And the reason why is that I think that uh, because the controls were more complex by adding the Inviso button, uh, a virtual multitude of new enemies, and adding a layer of strategy with the Stargate as well, which I just talked about. Um, although I liked the game, I did not have as much fun playing it because I think I was getting uh, sensory, overwhelmed sensory, sensorily by it, especially in the later stages. Um, as I said in the Wiki in in Wikipedia, there are 15 enemies to deal with now, and there were just some times where having a dozen or three enemies on the screen screen trying trying to kill you was a little bit much for a 12 year old me. Um, as I got older, I did get better at the game, although my highest score was over 200,000 points. Uh, I have to laugh at myself because. There's a fully functional Stargate machine at the arcade in Brighton, and also there's one at Pinball Pete's, but every time I look at it, I get flashbacks. <laughs> I mean, is it really possible that a video game can give you PTSD? I don't know. But, yeah, those are my thoughts on Stargate. <laughs> yeah. Every time I look at it, I, I swear to you, every time I look at it, I think, yeah, maybe I'll play a game of Stargate. Then I'm like, no, I won't. <laughs> um you have any thoughts about uh, anything that I've talked about so far, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, on to the last uh, segment of the show, which is time for some strategy. Time for some strategy. Okay. Um, these are my thoughts and my experiences. Not so much my experiences, but my thought on how to get good at the game. But just understand, this game, as difficult as Defender was, this is an order of magnitude harder for the reasons I said in the previous segment. Um, at its core, Stargate is pretty much like Defender, but it's faster and there are a lot more enemies that are out to end you. Um, you can play it straight up like its predecessor, or you can warp ahead to level 5, and from there, if you're really good, uh, you can warp ahead even further. If you're just learning the game, I would suggest not warping ahead, though it's easy to do. Um, there's a lot to deal with in Stargate, starting right from the first wave. 
You have some Alabians, some Dynamos, and some Fire Bombers to destroy along with the Landers. If you're playing the game straight up, just shoot everything, but if you're going to warp ahead to level 5, uh, just post up near the Stargate. Um, when you hear a humanoid being captured by a lander, fly into it, shoot the lander, rescue the human, and hold on to it. Um, as I said in the previous sec segment, the first human is 500 points, second is 1,000, third is 1,500, and every human rescued after that is 2,000 points. Uh, make a beeline straight for the Stargate, and you'll warp ahead to level 5, and you'll get a bonus of 2,000 points per human remaining. So if you don't use a human, you get 20,000 points, which will give you two free lives, um, two smart bombs, more invisible energy, and now the fun really begins. Um, one trick I learned for extra points is to actually rescue 9 out of the 10 humans on the first wave. Um, if you have 4 or more... Basically, you when you're going to rescue a humanoid, you fly towards the Stargate, but before you fly into it, you hit the reverse button and fly into it backwards. That way, you'll be able to uh, transport to where the humanoid's being kidnapped. Um, if you rescue 9 out of 10 uh, humanoids, you should have about 20,000 points already. And once you warp ahead, you'll get pretty much close to 40 you'll get over, somewhere around 40,000 when you warp ahead to level 5 um some of the better players back in the day they would just rescue four humanoids at level 5 and warp ahead to level 10 um but it's harder to do on level 5 as you would think the landers move faster uh the fire bombers are shooting at you and they're shooting fast quickly at you to where you actually have to concentrate on them uh specifically in order to kill them because they'll just keep shooting fireballs at you almost as fast as you can shoot lasers at them. Um, the Alabians are harder to deal with because now they're all starting to group up together and attack you uh, uh, wolf pack style, which, you know, the easiest way to take them out is to use the Inviso, but I'll get to that. Um, the Dinos are more aggressive. The Freaks start coming after you and so forth and so on. Um, I think maybe out of all the times I played Stargate back in the early 80s, I think I warped ahead to level 10 once. Every time I would try, almost every time I try it, you know, I would just get discouraged because I'd get shot down or I wouldn't get to the humanoids fast enough, even with the uh, Stargate. And yeah, it was just an exercise in frustration. <laughs> um, okay, the... Uh, Alabian Dogfight and Firebomber Showdowns are on levels uh, 5 and 10 respectively, and they're very hard to complete. Um, in the Dogfight, you go up against uh, a lot of Alabians. Uh, this is where your Inviso comes really in handy. Um, I will discuss those tactics in a second. Uh, the Firebombers are tough because they're shooting really fast at you, and you not only have to evade these shots... But you also have to see where the fire bomber is going and kind of lead your fire to where it's going to be so you can actually hit it without uh, worrying about the fireballs it's shooting at you. <laughs> Both of these quote-unquote bonus stages test your ability severely. Make no mistake about that. Um, okay, my tips are as such. Um, when you're in trouble... Use your Inviso. Um, not only are you invulnerable to enemy fire, but you can also destroy the enemy just by running into them. One of the best ways to deal with tons of enemies on the screen uh, was to hold down the Inviso button and thrust in reverse quickly while you're firing. Now, it's not easy to do because you're basically having to manage uh, three buttons almost simultaneously, but it is possible. It just takes practice. Um, once you get it down, now you have the advantage, but the only thing you have to worry about is using up all your Inviso. Um, you always have to be have to keep at least a little bit of Inviso in reserve for emergencies. Um, otherwise, be frugal with your Smart Bomb use and try to finish these waves quickly. Um, if you waste too much time, Baiters, Freds, and Big Reds start teleporting in um, and... Of course, like I said, they're faster than your ship, so running from them doesn't really help a lot. Um, 
and then if you waste any more time, then they'll start teleporting in, like, one every second, and you could just kiss that life goodbye. Um, Stargate is a tough, tough, tough game. Probably the hardest game out of all the games I've played, with maybe one or two exceptions in the, oh, goodness, what? Oh, 40, 43 years I've been playing video games? Um... That's this is probably one of the toughest games, top five for sure. Um, it will test you to the limits of your ability and beyond. Make no doubt about it. You have to be ready for that at all times. You know, you play this game, understand you're in you're in for a real challenge. Okay, so those are my thoughts and tips about uh, Stargate. Uh, if you have any of your own, you know what to do. Brian at gmail.com. And actually, I was mistaken. I have one more segment to go uh, before the end of the show, so let's get right to it. Arcade Review. I've said before, um, these this is one of my more beloved arcades in when I was living in Florida. When my roommate and I would make runs to this arcade, we almost always had a good time. You know, we all, almost always left happy because we had a really good time in the place. Okay, so like with previous arcade reviews, uh, this one gets the same treatment. Uh, it is rated on five criteria. Those criteria are location, selection, ambiance, functionality, and value. Uh, each one is rated one to ten, with half points coming into play. And at the end of the review, I add all those numbers together, average, average them out by five, and then we get a final uh, get a final score. So here we go. Okay, location seven point five. Um, the company that ran these arcades, uh, it had two locations in Orlando, Florida, and both of them were fairly easy to get to. Uh, one was on State Road 436 on the north side of town in Castleberry, just south of Apopka, and the second one was on State Road 50 on the west side of town in the Pine Hills area. Uh, both these roads are major thoroughfares in the city of Orlando and could be reached by car or bus. Fairly easy. Um, selection 8.5. Um, both of these places had fantastic selections ranging widely from games I hadn't seen since the 70s all the way to the modern day, which was from 1993 to 1995. Um, they also had tons of decent ticket games, although I never really, really liked ticket games very much. They served the younger kids who wanted to get something for their money, and but they weren't overwhelmingly populated in either one of these arcades, I think. The Pine Hills uh, one had maybe like four skee-ball uh, machines. I think the one up in uh, Castleberry had maybe like two. I think that's how it was. Um, okay, ambiance, 7.5. Um, I give this rating more for the Pine Hills location because they had a lot of things to draw the eye in that place. Um like various uh, art, um, back glasses, old-timey games, uh, and things like that. Um, the Castleberry was much more of a pure arcade with nowhere near as, as many accoutrements. Um, but both of them, as soon as you walked in, you know, if you were a video game player from the 70s and 80s, you know, it, it was a trip back in time for sure. Um, functionality, 8.0. Uh, there weren't a lot of games that were out of order or not working correctly that I can remember during my arcade runs with um, with my roommate, but I do remember if there was a machine out of order, they just basically shut it off and put an out of order sign uh, on them. Um, I think it was a moderate uh, 
length of time when the machine got fixed. Um, I would say probably like maybe two weeks, maybe three, but nothing longer than that. Um, okay, and uh, value, I give that a seven. Uh, both locations ran on tokens, and I thought they were interchangeable between locations, but seeing a picture from an attempted resurrection website using the Wayback Machine, uh, they might not have been because they both had gold and silver tokens. Um, I'll have to ask my roommate about that because I think she collected uh, uh, arcade tokens, and I think she had a couple from the Fun Machine. I think I'm I th I think I have like this half form memory where I think when I like put in like five dollars to get a bunch of tokens, I think it it spat out like both gold and silver tokens. So I may have been mistaken about that. Um, just for information's sake, I wrote uh, this review um, several months ago, and just on just thinking about it, like a memory just popped into my head, and I think that yeah, um, both I think the uh, tokens were exchangeable between the two places. Um, okay, so you add all that up together and divide it by five, and the score, the total score is seven point five. A uh, bit definitely a good score. Um, as I've said multiple times uh, through various episodes, uh, these arcades reignited my love for arcades and, you know, my uh, arcade game addiction, for sure. Um, it was a sad day when both uh, myself and my roommate, when we both when we found out the company had shut both these places down. It really sucked. We were really upset about that. Um Walking to, into both these places was a direct callback to my childhood, especially the Pine Hills location, and the fact that both locations had games I hadn't seen since my childhood pushes the ratings even higher. Uh, by 1997 or 1998, most of the arcades that weren't on Disney property had shut down with a couple of exceptions on International Drive, which for me turned Orlando into what most of the residents called the city at the time, Oblando. Because, yeah, there was just a lot of boring things going on. I'll talk more about that when um, I do a rundown and review for uh, the Church Street Station Arcade. That's coming in a future episode. Stay tuned. Okay, so, yeah, those that's all my thoughts and my review of the Fun Machine. Um, if you lived in the Orlando area, used to go to the Fun Machine back in the day, hey, you know what to do. Hit me up, because I would love to know what you thought and what your experience were with these arcades. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com Okay, so that's episode 26. Um, I will try to get this out by uh, next week, which would be the 29th or the 30th. Uh, and uh, I'll post that, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So until next time, this is Brian saying have fun out there, good gaming, once we can... once everything opens back up <laughs> and yeah when we can all go to arcades and have some fun again uh stay safe out there au revoir this has been the confessions of an arcade addict podcast all music has been provided by kevin mcleod you can find his music at incompetech.com you can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433 until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of the Arcade Addict Podcast. See you then.